Would you remain standing for a moment as we uh, read Genesis chapter 3? Um, and as we read it, I, I want you to just take it in. Take in the, the gravity of what is about to happen as we read this. The tragedy of it. But not just that, I want you to find the seed of hope. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read the whole chapter. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the woman said, Or the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and ye shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from that which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. You may be seated.
this is a tough story. When John had given me this, he's like, James, you're going to talk about the fall. I was like, oh, great. You know, that's the, that's the best topic to talk about, right? But I, I anticipate today is going to be a little mixture of like pleasure and pain, of despair and of hope. This story forces us to confront like our own failures in life, the failures of the human race as a whole and our own failures in our personal life. But I believe that in order, we need to understand our depths in order to be in wonder at God's heights. Like when we read the Bible, we confront our own failures. When we see the story, we see our own failures in it, but we also see an amazing and gracious God who encounters us as we read it. Genesis 3 is the story about what went wrong and how God is fixing it. It is an epic story. It has an epic scope. It talks about mankind. It talks about evil. It talks about God himself. It explains all problems in the world. It delves into human nature more than any psychologist ever could. It sets the stage for the rest of the Bible. And it introduces an enemy, a universal enemy, Satan and his message, and it exposes this for what it is. You know, some people kind of find it hard to believe in like Satan and like angels and demons and evil and all that kind of stuff. You know, some people kind of find that hard to believe. But for me, whenever I look out at the world, I find it harder to believe that evil does not exist. Like, I cannot explain some things that happen in the world to just like chemical imbalance. There is something wrong out there and there's something wrong in us. And I think Genesis helps answer these questions that science is unequipped to answer, right? Science can answer how type questions. How did this happen? Or how did, you know, what way did this happen? But it is totally unequipped to answer the why questions. And Genesis can help answer these types of questions like what went wrong with the world? Why do people do bad things? Are people basically good? Why do people die? Why do my hope for you every day is that you would live in gospel wonder. This is the vision that John, through prayer in this last year, has brought to us that we are a church who wants to live in gospel wonder at how amazing God is and how amazing life with God is. But there are some things that keep us from experiencing and living in that gospel wonder. And sin is one of those things. It prevents us from living in it. And I think the reason that is, is because sin is just the illusion of gospel wonder. Sin overpromises and underdelivers. Sin is a delusion. It is a cheap, knockoff, counterfeit to a glorious God. It lures us away with the thought of something better, but it always leaves us ashamed and hurting. It's like candy laced with poison. You know, Sun Tzu is, uh, <laughs> wrote a famous book called The Art of War. He was like a mili- Chinese military strategist. Uh, and he said this quote. He said, Know thyself, know thy enemy, a thousand battles, 
a thousand victories. I want us to have victory over the sin in our lives that keep us from living in gospel wonder. And I think this passage is going to help us to do that. And I think it's going to do that by showing us this. Sin is a counterfeit message that is crushed by the glorious gospel. Sin is a counterfeit message that is crushed by the glorious gospel. Sin is a message that runs counter to everything that God created and intended for the world. It's like a cheap knockoff Rolex watch. It is cheap imitation. But sometimes we get deluded into running after that cheap imitation. And so today I want to expose it for what it really is. Genesis 3 and the next few chapters of the Bible recount the the rise and the spread of this counterfeit message in the world and its destructive ramifications. This message continues to this day. So let's expose it in two ways. First, sin is counterfeit because it twists the word of God. Sin is counterfeit because it twists the word and the truth of God. Let's go back to verse 1 and and, and kind of recap. Let's read a little bit. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, now this is the kicker, Did God actually say, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? The woman responds, she says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Listen to this. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, let's take a step back. So if you've been trekking with us, if you're here last week, John went over Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so it recounted an amazing God who creates an amazing world. Cosmos, galaxies, Saturn, rings, all this kind of stuff. He created plant life, animals, and at the end of it all, he created man and woman as like the pinnacle of creation in his own image. And at the very end of it, he takes a step back, he looks at it all, and he says, it's very good. And so that's, why, that's what makes chapter 3 a little confusing, right? Like you go from that, and then verse 1 of chapter 3, it introduces a new character. A talking serpent trying to get people to disobey God. Like, what's up with that? Like, where did he come from? What, what, what is his purpose? Like, what, what are his origins? And so right at the outset, I said Genesis does answer a lot of life's big questions, but there are certain questions that Genesis is not going to answer for us. It's like God decided in his wisdom not to answer certain questions, and trying to speculate is like not useful. And I think one of the reasons we don't know more about the serpent in the story is that the story is not about the serpent. It's about us. It's about our failure as humans to live up to the expectation that God has for us. But we can look at other Bible verses and know that the character is actually Satan, right? I'm sure you've heard of him if you've read any part of the Bible or been in Sunday school. You've heard of this figure named Satan. Revelation calls Satan the serpent of old, so we can understand that much. So somewhere in between Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, something happened. 
something happened in the cosmos and there was some sort of struggle and there was the beginning of this counterfeit message called sin. So the Bible affirms that God is all good and he's all powerful. So whatever uh, happened, God permitted to happen, but we know that it did not please him because uh, it was counter to the message that he had created for the world. And in chapter 3, Satan, this fallen being, takes aim at humans. So let's get a little bit of background. Satan's strategy, the first strategy, is to twist the word of God. So for reasons unbeknownst to us, there's this tree in the garden, tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil, um, and they were told they could eat of any tree in the garden except for that one tree. Why was it there? I don't know. Was it a test? I don't know. Did God intend for them to maybe eat of it at some point in the future, just not at that point? Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't really matter because that's not what happened. What happened was they ate of the tree when they were not supposed to. And the rest is history. So Satan's strategy was to twist the word of God. Earlier when we were reading, I pointed out the first twist was, did God actually say? This is like classic sin talking. And it happens all the time in the world and in our lives. Did God actually say? You see, Satan's strategy, whenever he came into the world, the, the, the purpose, the strategy for this counter-narrative is the first thing he had to do was make us doubt the first narrative. The narrative that, that God is good, the narrative that we're supposed to obey his commands. And so as he introduced this counter-narrative, the strategy was to make us doubt the first one. Satan's ultimate goal is to create confusion between us and God. So when he says, did God actually say, he initiates confusion and makes us doubt him. And this happens all the time in our lives. We want to follow like our own desires and our own pleasures. And we want to justify those things. So sometimes we'll, we'll say, you know, scripture doesn't really talk about that. Or, you know, the scripture is not really for me. It's for like other people. And so we find ways to justify the pleasure that we are seeking that's apart from God. Now, Satan's second twist, the second paradigm of this counterfeit message, is that he personally attacks the character of God. He says, if you eat of the fruit, you will not surely die. Rather, you will be like God, becoming just like him. So what's he saying? He's saying that God is withholding something good from them. Like sin likes to dangle this thing in front of us. We want to go after that thing because we think that, that, that it's going to be a better life for us or a better thing for us. But we don't, what we don't realize is that God's boundaries create abundant life. Like we want to have life with no boundaries. We think that that's freedom right there. But the Bible says that the boundaries that God puts on our lives are for our joy and for our protection. I've used her as an example before, but I'm pretty sure most of you know my two-year-old niece, Abigail. She's the wild child that runs up and down the chairs after church, right? She, she wants to get into everything. She wants to run across the street to see her friends. She wants to touch the hot stove. She wants to run around and play with scissors. Probably not a good thing for any of us to do, right? But she wants to do these things because she's curious. She wants to experience them. But her parents, who know better, 
keep her from doing those things because they love her. They want to protect her. She doesn't understand that they're not good for her, but that's what her parents are for. The phony message that Satan introduced into the world is that God is not enough for you or that he doesn't have your best in mind. That is the counter narrative, that God is withholding something good from you. And that is the thing that I'm trying to expose today, that this is a counterfeit message, that this is a blatant lie. It is not true. And so we're presented with this choice every single day as we try to choose gospel wonder. We have to make a choice. Am I going to trust God's understanding and God's narrative on money or on sex or on marriage or on on bitterness? Whatever the thing is, am I going to trust his narrative and trust his uh, will for those things versus the counter narrative that says, that, that tries to give us shortcuts and tries to get us to come over here and escape God's will for us. This is the choice that we are presented with every single day. So the first uh, strategy, sin is counterfeit because it twists the truth of God. And secondly, sin is counterfeit because it always delivers the opposite of what we want. Sin always delivers the opposite of what we want. The tragic part of this story is that Adam and Eve did not get what they wanted. They wanted to experience this new thing. They said, it it looked good, it's going to give me happiness, and they got the exact opposite. They ate the fruit, and yes, their eyes were open, but it was open to shame for the first time. Immediately after they had bitten from this fruit, they heard the sound of God walking in the garden, whereas before they probably would have joyfully ran to him. Now they ran away and hid. Immediate consequences. Sin always does that to us. It's a a double whammy. It, It lures us away from God and then tries to prevent us from coming back to him. And there was incredible fallout from their actions. Incredible fallout that affects every single person in this room to this day. And I think about the fallout of that. It's just like the spread of a virus. Just like something that just spread from their mouth into the world. And it seeped into the world. And it affects all of us every day. There was disruption between their relationship with God. There was disruption between their relationship with each other, right? Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. And then come the curses. Pain during childbearing. I'm sorry, mothers. Clashing in marriage. Man has to work the ground like thorns and thistles come up. Whereas before they live in this paradise, now they've got to work hard for it. And we still got to work hard to put food on the table. The thorns and thistles crawl up into our office buildings, crawl into our keyboards, and they affect us to this day. Worst of all, death enters the world. And the fallout doesn't stop with Adam and Eve. It continues on. There's a spread of this counter message and its destructive results happen in the next few chapters of Genesis. Their firstborn son commits the first murder of all time by killing his brother out of jealousy. And then the fallout continues. Mankind started to fill the earth and evil spread with them so much so that God destroys all mankind in a flood except for one family. 
the fallout from sin is horrific. Sin is counterfeit because it always delivers the opposite of what we want. We want to have life, but sin is a life destroyer. We want to have peace, but it's a peace robber. We want to have joy, but it's a joy killer. The tragic news today is that sin is on a relentless war path to destroy you and destroy your life. So my goal in the first half is to expose this thing that we think is great and to expose it for what it is, cheap knockoff, but not just cheap knockoff, but a deadly knockoff of a true and amazing God. But the beautiful truth for you today and for us today, the amazing thing is it doesn't matter what you have done it doesn't matter what guilt you've carried into this room today. It doesn't matter what temptations you are struggling with this past week or that you're going to struggle with this upcoming week. The amazing thing is that the gospel crushes sin by revealing something infinitely more wonderful. The gospel crushes your sin by revealing something infinitely more wonderful. You see, as we talk about strategies of overcoming sin and living in gospel wonder, we, sometimes we try to think about it logically and rationally, right? Like, this thing's bad. I, the Bible says it's bad. I'm not supposed to do it. Logically, I'm not supposed to do it, right? Does that ever help you in overcoming sin? Like, never. Of course it's bad. We know that it brings death. So we have to switch our strategy a little bit, right? Sin offers the potential for pleasure. So we have to fight sin with a superior pleasure. And God is that superior pleasure. God proves himself over and over as more wonderful than this counter-narrative that's running rampant in the world. Like Satan proved that his message was counterfeit after he uh, tempted Adam and Eve, right? So after the curses start coming, where is Satan? He chunked deuce. He's gone. He is gone. Satan has exposed himself as not having our good in mind. But what does God do? When Adam and Eve hid themselves in the trees, God calls out to them. Where are you? He closed them. Yes, they experience consequences, but he provides for them in his mercy and his love. God proves his love. He proves that he is superior to us, that while we still sinned against him, he did not completely abandon us. He shows us the beauty of his character, leaving us in gospel wonder. The Bible says that God makes known the path to life. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Not Satan's. In God's right hand are pleasures. So we want life, and God is the life bringer. We want peace, and God is the peacemaker. We want joy, and God is the joy filler. So the, so the gospel crushes sin by revealing something infinitely more wonderful. And lastly, the gospel crushes sin by removing its sting forever. The amazing thing about Genesis 3 is that the curse that God pronounced over Satan was really our victory. 
What does it say in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? It says, God says to the serpent in his curse, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We in the gospel writers see this as a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ, the the holy, beautiful one of God, comes into the world, lives this perfect life, and then Satan, knowing that he's in the world, incites people to put him up on the cross. So Satan strikes his heel, right? So here's Jesus on the cross. It looks like God has this like total and utter defeat. The one that he sent into the world is dying without accomplishing very much, right? And so Jesus dies, but then he is resurrected from the grave. And this shows that he is crushing Satan under his feet. This very thing that looked like defeat for God was the thing that that took away our sin from us, took away God's wrath from us, put it onto Jesus Christ so that we would be clean, we would be free, and one day we would rise to everlasting life. Jesus has truly and utterly crushed the head of Satan. It's a done deal. It is going to happen. Faith in Jesus is our antidote for sin's bite, offered to all as a free gift. He is the one who will have complete and total victory over Satan, sin, and death. Paul says in Romans, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So White Oak, as we fight sin, as we think about living in gospel wonder, I want to assure you that sin has no power over you. Addictions have no power over us in Jesus Christ. We just think that they do. So as we try to fight sin, do not try to fight it logically. Fight it with the superior pleasure in Jesus Christ. And the way that we do that is we gather in Christian community. We see amazing songs like before the throne of God above. Like in that moment, as we were singing that, as John was leading us, I did not want to sin. I wanted to worship God. I wanted to love him. I wanted to to see him in that moment. And so seek those moments in your life. Encounter him in his word. Encounter him through prayer, meditation. Encounter him through, you know, living with the body, walking with the body. And the ultimate application is forget the counterfeit message. Believe the gospel. Forget the counterfeit message. Believe the gospel. Forget the counterfeit message and believe the gospel that God is good, that life with God is good, that in Jesus you are clean, in Jesus you are pure, in Jesus you have power over sin, and in Jesus you have a beautiful inheritance in heaven forever and ever. Coming alive to the beauty of Jesus opens up a life unlike anything we've ever experienced. As John said before, Jesus came to restore the wonder of the universe. And through Jesus Christ, God reopens our eyes to the beautiful wonder of who he is and who he is for us. Sin so often tries to steal this wonder from us. But God is always there calling out, where are you? Come on back. So as we close, I kind of wanted to end with this. Like everyone has a snake story, right? an encounter where we felt the sting of sin. 
Like when I was younger, we uh, grew up on a bayou or next to a bayou, right? It was kind of behind our house and we dealt with snakes like all the time, right? And so I can remember, actually I was talking to Emily about this. I couldn't remember because I have a horrible memory, but Emily brought this up. She was like, one time we were like in the driveway and this, this like huge snake started like slithering up toward us, right? We were kids, so we kind of freaked out. So we ran out of there, ran and told my dad and we're like, hey, there's like this massive snake in the driveway, And the first thing he did was he grabbed a BB gun, he went outside, shot in the head a few times, and then picked it up with his bare hands and threw it over the fence back into the bayou. And this is kind of how I envision God. A God who is not afraid to get messy, get in with our lives, and destroy the serpent that's trying to destroy us. And so White Oak, I encourage you, to join us in living in gospel wonder and choosing every day to believe the narrative that God is good, his commands for our life are joy and for our good, and we will live forever with him. Accept that narrative and reject the narrative of the world that tries to offer something that's not going to satisfy. And so that's my hope for you guys, and that's something that I want to pray over you guys as we close. So will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, so often it seems like we are running after that counterfeit narrative. It seems like so often, Lord, we believe the delusion of sin that tries to dangle a different, quote-unquote, better life in front of us, Lord. But we know in Genesis 3 and we see throughout the Bible and we see throughout our lives that that this is just a delusion. That sin always gives us the opposite of what we want. It does not bring joy. It does not bring peace. It does not bring hope. So Father, I pray over these people today and I pray over my own life personally, Lord, as I've been struggling to live in gospel wonder, as I've been struggling to overcome sin, Lord, I pray that you would turn our collective eyes to the beauty of the image of the invisible God, which is Jesus Christ and Him glorified. Lord, as we end today and as we take communion and as we go out into the world and and talk with one another and go back to our jobs, Lord, I pray that we would just be living in that gospel wonder that life is good and that life with you is great. Lord, may sin, may the appeal of sin just sort of drop from our eyes, Lord. May it be like a 60-watt bulb next to the sun. We want to live in your blazing glory, Lord. We don't want to turn to sin anymore. We want to experience joy in you. Unveil our eyes before you, Lord. And may we walk and may we live in gospel wonder forever. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.